Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. All right, it's early Monday morning. How many people has Donald Trump insulted already today? What do you say? Hello, everybody. Here we go on a Monday. It is already Monday, October 23rd. Great to see you today. And how about it? How was that weekend? Hope you had a good time. I enjoyed your time. I relaxed with a little friends and family and ready to jump with both feet into this new week and the new news and all the news of the day. That's our job to tell you what's going on, which we will from our studio right here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., bringing you all the latest. Yes, indeed. Uh, it looks like they've got the votes in the Senate for a bipartisan health care repair bill, not a repeal bill. Uh, but since it does something positive, the big question is, Will Mitch McConnell allow a vote on it? He only allows negative stuff to tear down what Barack Obama may have accomplished, hasn't allowed one positive vote yet. Will this be the exception? Uh, And meanwhile, Donald Trump and John Kelly continue on the attack on Congresswoman Frederica Wilson, uh, and the leaders of the Congressional Black Caucus are calling on General Kelly to shut up and apologize. All of that and a lot more to talk about. We'll jump right into it and look forward to hearing from you as always. Send us your comments. Burn up Twitter with your comments this morning. Send us your comments at BP Show. How about it? Get ready to go. But first... This all right, is the all right. Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Saturday night, Bill, we had Game 7 between the Yankees yep. and the Astros. Winner take all. Winner goes to the World Series. And the winner was the Houston Astros. Which not means, the Yankees. Not the Yankees, which means that tomorrow night it will be Game 1. Houston Astros against the Los Angeles Dodgers takes place in Dodger Stadium. 8.09 p.m. Eastern Time tomorrow night is when the game is. So All right, Bill, who's your team? It, Dodgers. <laughs> oh. He found, a new, he found a new bandwagon to jump on. That, that's an old bandwagon. It was the Nats, it was the Cubs, now it's Dodgers. Old bandwagon. You know, nice rival of the Nationals. It's, uh... Well, the Nationals are not there. If the, the Nationals Dodgers. were there, I I'd hate be the Dodgers the so much, you and like, I hope they lose. You like Houston? I do like Houston. I think Houston's a very likable team. If you get Tommy Lasorda on the show, all's forgiven. 
Uh, Fair. Well, first of all, I don't know whether he's still alive. I'm not sure. I think uh, he is. But, I think he's still alive. Um, okay. But Houston, to me, smells bush. Oh, yeah, but okay. Harvey, you know, it's like a good no, no, no. rally around point. They're a likable team. They're a likable team. Oh, I thought you meant Harvey Weinstein. God, no. Oh, oh God. Oh. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Too soon. By the way, Tommy Lasorda, still with us. All right, good. 90 Tommy. years young. Wow. While we're at the sports desk, let's talk about the Super Bowl. It's still a little ways away, but we found out who the performer is going to be for the halftime show. It's going to be Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake. Now, this is Uh-oh. third Uh-oh. time now. Yeah. Is it the third time? Yeah. I know you're a fan. I'm not a big fan of Justin Timberlake. I don't like that boy band stuff. Uh, I'm certainly not. He grew out of the boy band. No. Have you heard it? It's the same thing as that NSYNC stuff. I'm no. Not same thing. That's not true. That's terrible. He was an NSYNC. Well, so? Anyhow. Well, anyway, he's performing. Now, this is notable because the last time he performed, he exposed yeah, right. Janet Jackson's bosom on live TV, which sent the country into not a the, yeah. downward spiral. Nipple part of, gate. Part Nipple of gate. the bosom. No, it was the whole bosom, but she had a little, yeah. like a little decorative yeah. nipple thing. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. nipple. nipple. Well, like what l- we remember is the nipple. The nipple. Okay. It was a little thing around the nipple. Anyway, it just shows how stupid the whole Super look, Bowl is. If she doesn't get to come Do back, something else. Read a good book. Go for a walk. If she doesn't get to come back, Bowl. but he does, I think that's a bad idea. Go out for ice cream. I mean, just something. I'm not going to watch it. Just something worthwhile. I don't, don't watch, watch the Super Bowl. Bowl. Did you know yeah. she had a baby like a year ago? Yeah, She's she like had a secret baby. 59. Yeah. Bring her back. Bring her back. (laughs) On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Are you ready for a big Monday show? Let's hope so, because here we go. The Bill Press Show. What do you say, everybody? Great to see you uh, coming out of the weekend. Hope you had a good one and are all ready to go. We're lined up here in Washington, D.C., ready to jump out and join you uh, wherever you are, coast to coast in this great country of ours, every town and village and hamlet and every uh, truck and car office and home. Uh, right alongside of you uh, with, on with the uh, Bill Press Show and the news of the day. Thank you so much for joining us on YouTube, youtube.com slash uh, the Bill Press Show. Good to see you on Free Speech, Free Speech TV. And how about it? At Chicago, WCPT, the great progressive voice of Chicago and uh, in Indiana, Indiana Talks. All of you, welcome and look forward to hearing from you. Your part in the show is to tell us what you think about the news of the day, what it means to you, to your family, your community, and you know how to do so. On Twitter, don't leave it to Donald Trump. Take over Twitter. Let's take over on Twitter at BP Show. Yes, indeed. So much news of the day, Peter. Uh, we got the uh, World Series starting tomorrow night. Yes, yeah. indeed. Uh, Dodgers, Dodgers and Astros. Dodgers and the Astros. Uh, I wasn't sure. I thought the Yankees might pull it up, but the uh, Houston's a really scrappier, better team. Houston's uh, a very good baseball team, and yeah. and you know what's funny is and was, so the Dodgers. Right, the Dodgers that, are remarkable. The Dodgers are really a remarkable team. I, I I can't root for the Dodgers. I never can because they're terrible. 
They're too- <laughs> I mean, they have a terrible fan base. They're like they're one of these people that just like stacked their roster so that they could make a run for the World Series, which I hate. But Houston is sort of part of the game. I don't know. Yeah, I know. It's just a part of the game. I understand. I mean, I'm not having lived and loved uh, L.A. I'm still. Uh, I, I get it. No doubt. I get yeah. it. Yeah. I just and Dodger Stadium, great place. Even though sure. Chavez Ravine <clears throat> cleaned out a lot of people and destroyed yeah. a lot of homes to build that stadium. But the thing I'm not, not going to spend too much time getting too, too yeah. in the weeds here. But like Houston it, is everything the Nationals should have been. They have like a young. Powerful yeah. core. They have a couple of veterans. Yeah, and now we've great fired Dusty Baker. And we got yeah. Now who, I, who, who, you know, if if you don't have a dog in the fight, don't you want to root for the underdog, which in this case is the Houston Astros? No. Why? <laughs> Bill is anti underdog. Bill I'm, is anti underdog. No, I'm not anti underdog. I'm anti anything to do with George Texas, George Bush, Ted Cruz, <laughs> John Cornyn. I mean, you do. That, yeah, there's some liberals in Texas. That's who too. Texas is to me. You yeah, do well, have when the a liberals good point are in there. charge. I'll I'll support them. You uh, do have a good point there. Texas went for Trump. California did not go for Trump. Yeah, right. So that, I'm for a, the Dodgers. That's a fair it's point. A, Which is why Trump has said nothing about the everything's fires. political. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and by the way, the other big news. Uh, so we got the World Series starting tomorrow night. Uh, also, uh, we're all we're all recovering from oh, uh, our big show party on Saturday. Oh, yep, boy. we had our annual uh, Bill Press show. Um, gathering yeah. with all of our regular guests, all the people that you love, you can see uh, coming in here. And uh, yeah, they, you would have been embarrassed by them Saturday night. They were all, uh, yeah. We ended up having to carry some of them home. I some think, of them know. needed uh, some serious help mm-hmm. at the end of the night. Yeah, I mean, that Joe Searins, Johnny, man, yeah, he can really put it away. You know? Are you okay after he took a swing at you? He got Uh-oh. so drunk, he got, I don't even know what you guys well, were fighting Well, he didn't mean about. it, though. Yeah. Right. No. Right. He's an but, angry drunk. Yeah. Who was the last one you carried out? Was uh, it uh, Steve Shepard? <laughs> we'll ask him when he comes in we'll later. We'll ask him. He'll be in a little bit I later. hope he's going to come in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do have a great, we forgot to tell you that, a great lineup of guests today. Wendell Potter has started, he's a former um, corporate executive who's now started a new, a new uh, organization and wants to tell us all about it called Tarbell, uh, which is all about um, big corporations and all the... Uh, tax cuts they get and all the money they put in politics and everything that's wrong with them. Uh, Stephen Shepard, the aforementioned, a bespoke St- Stephen Shepard from Politico, uh, knows politics better than anybody else. We'll be uh, here to tell us all about the latest polls, what's happening in the Virginia governor's race, too. Uh, and then we'll end up with John Donnelly, who is the defense reporter for Roll Call, uh, who's uh, broken a lot of stories lately um, uh, r- regarding regarding uh, the military. Uh, yes, indeed. Where do we start? Well, you know, uh, I got to tell you, maybe not the best place to start, but uh, Bill O'Reilly back in the oh my God. this morning. Oh, how disgusting. It's even worse than we thought with Bill O'Reilly at Fox News. And this, of course, on the heels of the Harvey Weinstein mess, right? But O'Reilly came before that. But what we didn't know and just came out is when they signed, Fox Fox signed his latest contract. Uh, by the way, this was just this year, yeah. right? All this happened. So they signed his latest. I, I keep thinking that we're still like 2016 is not that far away, but like we're, we're almost out of 2017. Yeah, right. So in January... Um, well, first in February they, he signed his new contract, just before he lost his job, uh, twenty-five million dollars a year for four years. 
Uh, that's a lot of money to pay somebody, right? Particularly that guy. But especially a lot of money after what happened a, year, a, a month before in January. And, of course, Fox News knew this. In January, he signed uh, a sexual harassment settlement for a deal that cost him, you know, in Fox, $32 million. That's amazing. $32 million. Liz Wheel was one of his uh, employees. She filed a sexual harassment lawsuit against him. Obviously successful. Obviously what she said was the truth. Instead of going to, to, to court, he settled with her $32 million. This is on top of yeah. the money that he had already done. I don't know. But well, there were five other five others before her. So she was the sixth woman that he settled a sexual harassment lawsuit with for a total of $45 million. So 13 collectively for four before uh, for five before her and she 32 million i guess she had a better lawyer than the others not sure 45 million dollars and then with all of that history fox turns around and signs him up for 25 million dollars for a four-year contract you know it just shows how these corporations and that's the same thing with with the weinstein company and now we heard about this I forget his name. This new director that's all come out. Toback, James Toback. Toback. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, where these corporations, they know about this, and they cover it up, and they look the other way, and they basically support these guys in their habit and encourage them in their habit of, of being sexual predators. And Fox did the same thing with uh, uh, Roger Ailes. Yeah. There, there, there's something to be. There are a couple of points here to make. Number one. Um, <laughs> You know, for all the grief that the Weinstein company is getting, and rightfully so, for kind of sheltering him and uh, Harvey Weinstein and all this, Fox News should be like completely scrutinized. Anybody who knew about this and then still went through to pay him the money yeah. should be gone. It's Fox and gone. the parent company. I don't know. I'm, I'm blanking too. But Rupert but, Murdoch's yeah yeah. This is an interesting point uh, by Bakari Sellers, uh, your friend from from mm -hmm. CNN. He he tweeted over the weekend. As a lawyer, let me tell you, you don't pay thirty two million dollars to settle sexual harassment claims. You pay thirty two million dollars to settle a much much harsher assault. Of course, yeah, had to be. So think about had that. Yeah. Think about that when you think about Bill O'Reilly <laughs> and boys will be boys and this media culture that we're in now, like something far worse happened there. Yeah, abs absolutely. But just just shows this whole um, kind of culture that's built up in these corporations where this is sort of accepted behavior for men, uh, for powerful men. Uh, it's disgusting, and the more this comes to light the more I hope that that, uh, that people just say, no, we're not going to tolerate that. We don't care who you are. We don't care how, how powerful you are or how much money you're making our company. Uh, you're treating people like this, uh, taking advantage of women because of your position of power. You are uh, out of here. Uh, speaking of uh, <clears throat> harassment of women, uh, let's go to the White House. Let's go to the White House <laughs> yeah. and the latest with, by the way, just as 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 
I haven't seen anything yet today, but yesterday morning, what's the first thing Donald Trump did? Donald Trump tweeting out again about Congresswoman Frederica Wilson. This was six days in a row that he has attacked her either verbally or on, on, on a tweet. I mean, he is just on this tear. They will not let go of it. And he is wrong. And General John Kelly, shame on him, uh, is wrong as well. Uh, and, of course, Sarah Huckabee Sanders gets on it too, right? Um, so the latest, uh, right after our show on Friday, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Uh, so on the day before, and we talked about this Friday morning, but the day before is when uh, uh, General Kelly, John Kelly, the, now the chief of staff uh, at the White House, came out to the briefing room himself to say how shocked he was. He was just shocked. He was just stunned uh, that Congresswoman Wilson would uh, would dare say anything about the president's call to this widow. We talked about that. But he also, and then he said she should never have, it was inappropriate for her to listen in, eavesdrop on this conversation, when in fact... She's in the limousine because she's a close friend of the family. She's in there with Sergeant LaDavid Johnson's widow and mother and other family members. And a military officer arrives with a phone, and the phone is a call from the, from the president on speaker phone. So everybody in the car hears the call. She wasn't just trying to sneak in and eavesdrop. Uh, but then General Kelly went beyond that. And he said back in 2015... He attended the dedication, dedication as a when he was a Marine four-star general of a new FBI building down in Miami, and he said all that woman did was talk about herself and claim credit for securing the funding for that building and made it all about herself and didn't talk about anything else. Well, the Sun Sentinel from Florida got a hold of the video of that entire speech. It was nine minutes long, and in that speech. Frederica Wilson, by the way, she pointed out, first of all, in the speech, what she did was she gave credit to Congress for moving so fast to get that money. And she thanked Speaker John Boehner. She thanked other Republican leaders in the House and in the Senate. And she said, this just proved that Congress can get something done when it wants to. And then she went on to spend most of her nine minutes praising the two FBI officers who had died in the line of duty uh, and who had uh, and for whom this building was dedicated. In other words, she said nothing like what John General John Kelly said. This really erupted uh, at the briefing a Friday afternoon. But first of all, uh, Sarah Sanders saying how unfortunate it is that anybody would disagree with a four-star general. Certainly, if the uh, spirit of which those comments were intended uh, were misunderstood, that's very unfortunate. Well, unfortunate there. I'm sorry that uh, that uh, she says that the widow misunderstood the comments. The comments saying, remember, um, well, it's too bad, but, you know, he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was getting into when he signed up for this. Your guy knew what he was getting into when he signed up for this. This was Donald Trump's way of expressing the condolences for the, on behalf of the entire nation. Uh, and when it comes to uh, Congresswoman Wilson, Sarah Huckabee Sanders piling on. As General Kelly pointed out, if you're able to make a sacred act 
like honoring American heroes all about yourself, you're an empty barrel. If you don't understand that reference, I'll put it a little more simply. As we say in the South, all hat, no cattle. Blah! Got disgusting. Okay, Ugh. so Congresswoman Wilson wears a hat. Ha ha, very funny. Again, it's just this demeaning, this, this fear that, that their response has to be, rather than they can't defend what the president said, they can't defend that he lied about no other president making calls to Gold Star families, so they just have to go on the attack. By the way, easily, again, on the attack against women, uh, particularly women of color, right? This is Donald Trump's uh, agenda. Charles Blow, in his column in the uh, New York Times this morning, quotes uh, Michelle Lynn for Vogue magazine, writing this week, quote, According to Trump's sordid he-said-she-said turn of events, Wilson isn't an elected official supporting a constituent and a friend. She's a wacky woman, just like Hillary Clinton and San Juan Mayor Carmen Cruz are nasty women. Mika Brzezinski has a low IQ. Megyn Kelly has blood coming out of her wherever uh, and Jessica Leeds, one of the women who accused Donald Trump of sexual assault. Just one of the women who accused Just one of the women, uh, quote, according to Donald Trump, would not be my first choice. So this is what he does. He just goes out and attacks women. This is his M.O. It is totally disgusting. And then, so Chip Reed uh, from, uh, from CBS News, damn good reporter, he was filling in on, uh, uh, on Friday uh, and he challenges Sarah Sanders about the video. The video of the speech contradicts what John Kelly said. And so Chipreed is saying, so let's have General Kelly come out here and defend his remarks. Here's Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Um, he come out here and talk to us about this at some point? I think so he's that addressed he that facts, pretty right? thoroughly yesterday. No, no, he was wrong yesterday in talking about getting the money. The money was If you want to go after General Kelly, that's up to you. But I think that, that if you want to get into a debate with a four-star Marine General, I think that that's uh, something highly inappropriate. What do you mean highly inappropriate? Good that God. is outrageous. God. Wait, even a four-star General, or I would say especially a four-star general, is expected to tell the truth, right? And the fact that he did not tell the truth, by the way, Frederick, to show how wrong he was, Frederica Wilson was not even in the Congress when the money for this building was appropriated back in 2009. So he was dead wrong. She could not have bragged about getting the money because she wasn't even there. And if you look, and I did, by the way, I watched the whole nine minutes over the weekend, she doesn't take credit for it. She salutes Congress again for delivering the money so fast. In fact, here's what she said in that speech about they said things couldn't get done that fast. Well, guess what? Everyone said that's impossible. It takes at least eight months to a year to complete the process through the House, the Senate, and to the president's office. I said, I'm a school principal, and I said it. Excuse my French. Oh, hell no. We're going <laughs> to get this done. Yeah. And the Senate, did, the House did, and then she said she gave most of the credit to John Boehner, not herself. That's hardly a victory lap. Yeah. I mean, no, it, I mean, I mean you, you've been around Congress for a long, long time. You, you've seen a couple of pretty gaudy, uh, yeah. tacky victory laps. For example, 
when the House voted for Obamacare or an Obamacare replacement, had their big beer party at the White House. Oh, uh, yeah. That's right. pretty tacky, gaudy victory lap. This is nothing. Mm-mm. No. This right. is nothing. And you and, and there's there's but, a very there's there's something you hit on about John Kelly. He was either very very wrong or he willfully came out and lied about the situation. And by the way, either one of those is worthy of our criticism. Yeah. Yes. And saying that he is wrong. There is a, you you called this early early on when Donald Trump was putting all of these member former mil, members of the military and generals into his cabinet and into the White House by saying that he's just sort of militarizing the 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 White House. Yeah. You can't put a general out there and say, "Oh, you can't criticize him at all." Oh no, no, that's not how this works. Uh uh-uh. uh right. Uh, and so, what, what's really to me sad, really sad, is that General. I, I know I'm using <laughs> Donald Trump's favorite word, Sorry. but this is sad. You know, or Don, or, or put it this way. Uh, General Kelly said the other day, it was stunning to see this congresswoman, um, he said, politicize this call, even though it was Donald Trump who politicized the issue to begin with. No, what was stunning is to see a man of John Kelly's caliber prostitute himself in front of the American people and in front of the White House press corps and do it, by the way, two weeks in a row. It was just one week before that he had come out to say, "Uh, I'm not going to get fired today. I talked to the president. He's not going to fire me today, and I'm not, and I'm not going to quit today. And then one week later, he comes out and tells these lies and attacks Frederica Wilson. He knew what he was doing, and he came out there because the president asked, forced him, forced him to do it. And Kelly was willing to to, to make himself a political puppet, just like everybody else around Donald Trump. Shame on him. This is a time when anybody with any backbone, anybody with any moral conviction should have said, no, Mr. President, I'm not a political puppet like everybody else here. I'm different, right? I'm going to tell the truth. Instead, you know, Kelly let himself be used. And you know, every both of those times, back in the Oval Office, Donald Trump was watching, hanging on every single word and probably muttering, good boy, good boy, good boy. Yeah, he can't. Can't put some lipstick on this pig. <laughs> yeah, right. And he came <laughs> he came back in, and Donald Trump probably patted him on the back and said, good boy, yeah, you did just what I want you to do. It's just, just disgusting. It's sickening. Let me tell you, it's, it was in July, just July, that John Kelly took over as chief of staff with a ton of credibility. Three months later, he has no credibility left. By the way, neither does, shifting gears uh, pretty radically here, yep. neither does the tax plan that these guys now are trying to sell. Oh, my God. So watch out. Hey, folks, hold on to your wallets, okay? So here's what happened, right? Last week, the Senate passed its budget. So now they can push tax cuts through. They call it tax reform. It's not. They can push these tax cuts, that's what they are, through with just 51 votes if they can get them. Or 50, and then have Mike Pence break the tie. Break the tie. And they keep saying, well, our goal is a tax cut for every middle-class American. That's not what they are delivering. By the way, what? The, did you see yeah. this tweet from Sarah Sanders over the weekend? Uh-oh, no. Oh, uh, uh, last night she tweeted, 
taxes cost more out of pocket than housing, clothing, and food combined. Time for Americans to get what they really need. What will your family do with a four thousand dollar raise that's, from the president's tax cut plan? Right, right. Four thousand dollar raise. That's the first time I've heard that. That's a new one. No, they can't get their story straight. No, th- but that's what they're claiming. What they're claiming is that. Uh, and by the way, this is by the, by the president's chief tax advisor, a guy named Kevin Hassert. Uh, I know Kevin Hassert. Uh, I beat him at golf once, and he's never forgotten it. Um, <laughs> he's been selling this bogus plan for like 25 years, which is if you cut corporate taxes, every American family will get $4,000 in their pocket. Every other economist in the world says that is Total BS. It's just he, he made it up. He pulled it out of his ass, right? Doesn't mean doesn't mean anything. But when you look at it, it is crazy. So what this so you gotta know this Republican plan is twofold. Number one, and then you let me explain it to you, then you tell me what it does for the middle class. Number one, it cuts corporate taxes from uh today thirty five percent down to 20%. Donald Trump wants it to 15, by the way. And they claim that the United States corporations here pay higher taxes than any other country on the planet. I hear that all the time. Not That's true. not true. Not true. It is not true. The effective tax rate that corporations pay is somewhere between 20, I've seen it as low as 20, and max high as 27. Not, um, the... Um, World Bank, yeah, looked at uh, 92 companies and found out that 92 largest corporations in the country pay less than 20%. And out of 189 countries that they looked at around the globe, the United States ranks 15, not number not number one. So they're saying if you cut those corporate taxes, uh, here, what, this is what Kevin Hastert is saying, these companies are going to invest more. They're going to pay their workers more. That's where the $4,000 comes in. They're going to create new jobs. That is just nonsense. Out of their minds. And by the way, corporate corporate profits today are higher than they've ever been. That started under Obama, continued under Donald Trump. Corporate profit. They're making more money now than ever before. So where are the new jobs? Right. Where are the new wages? Where is a new investment? No, it's going to the CEOs and to the shareholders. So that's the corporate side. And on the pri- on the individual side, what they do is cut the top rate. Uh, okay, everybody out there is part of the middle class. Listen carefully. Look for your break here, right? We're, okay, here's what they do. They cut the top rate from 39 to 35%. How's that help you? They get rid of the estate tax. How's that help you? They get rid of the alternative minimum tax. How's that help you? Here's how it helps you. It helps you if you make, according to the Tax Policy Center, if you make, if you're in the top 1%, meaning you make $730,000 or above a year, you will get about 50% of the total tax cuts in this Republican plan. 80% of the total benefits would accrue to taxpayers in the top 1% by 2027. And who are the top 1% making over $730,000 a year? 96.2% of them are white, and 8 out of 10 of them are men. 
So this whole tax cut is for filthy rich white men. It is not for the middle class, and don't let them sell it that way. And this is what the Republicans' top agenda is. I guess final point on that, think about it. Just think about it. So they wanted power so badly. They wanted to get the Senate and the House and the White House, and they got them. And what is their number one priority? Why have these Republicans gone along with Donald Trump despite all the disgusting things that he's done and said? Why? Because this is their number one priority, to get tax cuts for the wealthiest 1% of Americans. It's not to do anything about schools. It's not to do anything about climate change, God forbid. It's not to do anything about jobs or about infrastructure or about any of the other problems, income, inequality, any, any of the other serious problems facing this country. Their whole lust for power is to give the top 1% of Americans, those making $730,000 a year, a tax cut. Now, to me, that is a waste of power. And, and you have to pay attention to what they're telling you because what they're telling you yeah. is a lie. Absolutely. What Sarah Sanders says about the $4,000 no. is a lie. Totally. When they come out and they say young people should be scared of the scary death tax, it's not going to affect. It's not going to affect you. It affects such a small percentage of people. When they come out and tell you that they're, they're like fifteen hundred families max, right, right. When they come out and they tell you that your employer is going to be able to give you more money now because they have gotten these tax cuts, they're lying. They to got you. the money now. They're lying to they're you. Lying. Absolutely lying. And this and we're dealing thing. with the presidency that has made a habit out of blatant lies more than any other presidency ever. Uh, yeah, this may be the biggest one yet. So, so well, speaking of these corporations, yeah, uh, what is going on with them, particularly in the political system? Uh, again, Wendell Potter uh, joining us, a founder of Tarbell, which launches today. We'll find out all about it and uh, how you can participate in it uh, when we come right back. Quick break. We'll be right back here on this Monday edition of the Bill Press Show. All hat, no cattle. Can't put lipstick on this pig. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. And we're back here on this Monday, October 23rd, the Bill Press Show, coast to coast. We're with you on the radio, on television. Great to see you today, and thanks for being with us. As we come to you live from Washington, D.C., and brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters. Yep, the good men and women of our firefighting departments on the line every day protecting American families under the leadership of President Harold Schaefberger and certainly have come through uh, meeting with uh, dinner with uh, Governor Jerry Brown from California last night talking about the great job that the firefighters did in California knocking down uh, the wildfires north and south. Check out their website at iaf.org. Uh, yes, indeed, we have a little bit of... Uh, 
Um, exciting news about the Bill Press Show we want to share with you, a special opportunity. Peter, yeah. tell us about it. That's so, up for the first time. Yeah, we- so we've told you for a while that we have our Patreon page, which is a great way to support the show. We put videos up from you every day. Every single day we get a video when you're here. We put it up. It's Patreon dot com slash bp show but we had also told you we were going to be doing a special podcast called the making of bernie sanders and we're happy to say that episode one is up it was put up on friday we've got another one coming this week and then another one the week after that and another one the week after that it's going to be a total of five episodes but you can only get it if you are a patron at patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash bp show Right, you got to pay for it, but it's worth it because the first episode is where I interview you. Because <laughs> those of you who don't know, the Bernie Sanders for President campaign was launched in your living room. The inside story, yeah, yeah. and you give us the whole thing of who was there, what you talked about, what the goals were, and it's—I mean, we haven't heard any of that yet. And what Carol cooked for dinner, and what Carol cooked for dinner. <laughs> uh, so you can only get it if you go check it out at Patreon.com/slash BP Show. All right, and another exciting new effort uh, launching today called Tarbell. The founder, uh, Wendell Potter, is uh, joining us uh, in studio. Also, Wendell, author of the book A Nation on the Take: How Big Money Corrupts Our Democracy and Does It Ever. Hey, Wendell, nice to see you. Bill, thank you very much. Thanks for coming in. My you pleasure. were, um, before you became such a rabble-rouser, a uh, corporate executive yourself, right? Where, I was. I yeah. spent about 20 years in uh, t- working for two big corporations, Humana and Cigna, two big for-profit health insurance corporations. And I uh, led corporate communications for both companies, at, obviously, at different times. Before that, I was a journalist. I was a reporter, actually, here in Washington in the, in the 1970s. Oh, I, uh, really? Yeah. I covered Washington. I covered the White House and uh uh, Congress and the Supreme Court for Scripps Howard newspapers, which no longer has a, a bureau anymore. Uh, yeah. So that goes back some time. The, the world has changed a lot. Uh, or, let me say, <laughs> being at the White House and part of the White House press corps has yeah. it uh, has it ever. It you sure know, has. One of those, right? Yeah. So you've got your journalistic stripes there, right? And I then, do, yeah. but I had a longer but, career in corporate public relations. Cor- I was a corporate executive, as you noted, and I helped uh, put together propaganda campaigns and efforts to mislead the public. I, uh, and it, one of the reasons I left was because of a crisis of conscience. I realized that what I was doing for a living all too often was the exact opposite of what I tried to do as a reporter. And, uh, and this was in the healthcare field. It was right? healthcare. And I, I left just before the presidential election, which Barack Obama was elected. I knew that the uh, industry would be once again, trying to influence uh, the election and health care reform, the health care reform debate that un- undoubtedly was going to happen regardless of who was elected. And I just didn't have it in me anymore to do be a part of another campaign by the industry to influence, derail, if possible, health care reform. So I left. There were other reasons why I left, but that was a, uh, a chief reason. I just uh, knew that we needed to have health care reform. I saw it uh, up close in many cases. One of the things I used to do in my job was handle what we called high-profile cases in which uh, someone who was enrolled in a, a Cigna or Humana health plan had problems getting something covered that they needed. Yeah. And I just I, didn't have it in me to do that anymore. Right. Man, good for you. That's a tough admission, I mean, to, to, to sort of get to that point where you realize <laughs> what you're doing and you just can't do it anymore. Uh, it's yeah, too bad can. John Kelly does not have your moral conscience, I I, I would say. Well, I've never, met, I've never met him. I... I, I but, uh, I wish that we had more people who would speak out. And I often say that I'm making amends for what I did 
yeah. in, my, in so, my old career. You know, it's interesting. There's a British tradition, <coughs> pardon me, I think still exists, where if people did have a, a real moral difference, right, or, or just could not accept what they'd been either asked to do or asked to support or something, they would honorably resign right. from government, right? Yeah. And that didn't mean their career was finished forever, right? They would just say, I'm just going to step aside for a while, right? Maybe come back in a different light, a different administration. But in this country, it doesn't exist. No, it doesn't. Other than rare rare uh, individuals like you. Yeah, a lot of people ask me, why don't more people do this, do what I'm doing? And uh, a lot of reasons. Uh, People enjoy having the power and influence that they have and don't want to give it up and the money. Uh, and the money, and it's that's at the at the core of what uh, Tarbell is going to be about, and what well, I've written about. I was going it's, to ask you, so, corrupting yeah. influence. So tell money. us about Tarbell. You're starting today crowdfunding for yes. this new organization, right? right? To do what? Well, my my team and I have been working on this for almost a year now to lay the lay the groundwork to to get to this point. We've raised a fair amount of money to uh, cover our startup cost. We're going to be covering those who have the real power in this town. Uh, obviously, we've uh, this is there probably is more power concentrated in this town than anywhere else on the planet, but uh, as I've observed, the real power lies with uh, uh, you used the term a few minutes ago, filthy white men, uh, yeah. people who have a ton of money and are willing to spend a lot of it. Filthy to, rich white men, I think. I said. Yeah, 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 I did. Filthy, right. okay. filthy, yes, exactly. Right. Fil- right. Filthy rich white right. men, right. Uh, and uh, they. Um, uh, Able, they're able to spend money, uh, whether they're a head of a corporation or a, a very rich individual, to influence elections, to influence public policy, whether it's legislation or regulation. And uh, uh, we want to expose that. I think most of the reporting, and I was I was a part of it when I was a reporter here many years ago, you cover politicians, you cover uh, what they say for the most part, uh, but there's not enough coverage, in my opinion, about those who really pull the strings, who have the real power, who are able to spend money in so many different ways these days uh, to influence how this town is is run. Uh, they really call the shots. It's a really that's a really interesting point because it's it's kind of easy to see these figureheads who say these things, and you can write those quotes up, and people can digest that. But to really see what's going on here takes an incredible amount of work. It does, and. It does. It's and, hard for people to digest, and it's hard for yeah. reporters to put it out there in a way that people can get it. But it really it is. is remarkable what happens here. It is. Reporters are always on deadline. When, sure. When there is something that is breaking, they have to file their stories one way or another. And that doesn't give them enough time to really dig into things that I think are, are very, very important. Plus, we've seen reporters, uh, uh, the number of reporters declined <laughs> significantly. Over the past 25 years, 60% of journalism jobs have disappeared. Uh, Good grief. Most, mostly newspaper jobs. We've seen newspapers disappear themselves all over the country. There are a lot of reporters still here in Washington, obviously. Uh, but a lot of them uh, report for expensive trade publications mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. Other, yeah. other publications that uh, require people to pay a lot of money. So a lot of the good reporting that's done uh, isn't seen by most people in this country. So, um, by, by the way, I think one exception to what you said um, is a great book by Jane Mayer a couple of years yes. ago called uh, Dark Absolutely. Money. Uh, and I interviewed book. her and yeah. uh, here on the program and also the program at our, at our local Hill Center uh, where she really exposes, particularly the Koch yeah. brothers and others, you know, and the, 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 the well-called dark money because it's a lot of money 
and it's under the radar, and it's buying influence right. in this town. She is a terrific reporter great and reporter. author, and she has done great work. And that's the kind of work that we want to do. It takes uh, investigative reporting is expensive, and it takes time. Uh, and that's why we're doing this crowdfunding campaign, because we, right. we want to raise the money to do this right. Right. Now, uh, I want to ask you, I think I know, but I want to be sure that all of our listeners and viewers know, uh, what is the name, why Tarbell? Tarbell is named after Ida Tarbell. Right. And uh, <laughs> Ida, exactly. She uh, uh, was one of the most important journalists in American history. Uh, I think her name, unfortunately, has been lost to history totally. to a certain extent. Totally. So we want to bring it back. We want yeah. to honor her. And that's why we've named uh, our our online, our digital publication, Tarbell. Tar- uh, she is from Pennsylvania, where I live now. She uh, uh, became a reporter and decided to take on John D. Rockefeller's Standard Oil Company Mm -hmm. back in the Gilded Age. Mm -hmm. And she set her sights on him, and she uh, uh, produced um, a series of very, very hard-hitting exposés of the Standard Oil Company that was published in McClure's magazine. And it was so effective, so eye-opening, that it led eventually to the breakup of that big monopoly and to some very important antitrust and and campaign finance laws. Right. I'm just trying to think of the name of her publisher at McClure's. Uh, it's escaping me too. Yeah. Okay. Um, but they but, were very obviously. He recruited her. He wanted her to be. A, but she was a one part of the original muckrakers, she right? Teddy Roosevelt she's, used to call She's them. often considered the the original and and probably the founding of a founder of uh, investigative journalism. In, this country. in Doris Kearns Goodwin's mm-hmm. latest book, uh, it tells all the story of, it, it, about yes, exactly. Uh, right. I think bully pulpit and the and the. Uh, the Golden Age of Journalism, I think, is a part of the subtitle of her book. Right. And it was. Uh, uh, there was some very aggressive reporting. She was not the only one, but there were— And again, were, she got, even at the time, a lot of flack, you know, oh, for coming did. out against uh, a Rockefeller. But she, she, she really exposed a lot that the corporation had done, not to just influence politics, but also to gobble up smaller companies yeah, and exactly. put people out of work, the whole thing. So uh, how does the crowdfunding work, and what can people do? I mean— well, so, they can go to our website, which is tarbell.org, and I stress the .org because we're a nonprofit. We have our 501c3. Uh, people can go to tarbell.org and see what we're all about, uh, and you can make a, a, a donation. Uh, of, of any size, Of right? any size, exactly. There, <laughs> there are ways that you can donate a dollar, uh, or we hope uh, significantly <laughs> more as well, yeah, too. Right. Uh, so that's what we want mm-hmm. to do. We, as I said, we want to be entirely reader-funded. We've, we've raised money so far from individuals and from uh, family uh, uh, foundations. Uh, mm-hmm. One, interestingly, uh, is John D. Rockefeller IV. Uh, I testified before his committee when I uh, first became a public critic of the insurance industry that I used to work for, Mm -hmm. and I testified before his Senate Commerce Committee, and he uh, and I have uh, stayed connected, and he is a a supporter of ours, and we've got many, many other supporters who have uh, given us seed money, uh, but now we're we're going public in a very big way. And Tarbell will be then an uh, an investigative journalism project, right? It will. And will you, how will you get it out there? You, You... the information you dig up, are you going to publish it yourself or give it to other, you know, leak it to the Washington Post or what's the plan? We have uh, a lot of different means of getting our, our news, our investigations out. Uh, one, we hope people will come to our website to see the reports. We'll be pushing it out via social media and other ways and through newsletters that we will we will have. But we also plan to partner with, with other news organizations and probably do some reporting jointly with some other 
journalism organizations. Uh, that's done fairly commonly now by the Center for Public Integrity, where I worked for five years uh, as a as a columnist, uh, the Pro, and ProPublica does the same thing. So mm-hmm. we have a, a number of ways that we will be getting our journalism out. We will also be multimedia. It's not just going to be long-form print stories or uh, word stories. We will be uh, doing video reports as well, too, and uh, many documentaries. Is there any first target that you've got? I mean... You know, if you talk about influence in this town, uh, there's oil money, there's pharma money, mm-hmm. there's bingo. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, the, the pharma, list is long. The far, exactly, but I think that uh, what I know best is the healthcare business, and yeah. uh, I've written a lot about uh, the insurance companies, uh, and they will certainly be a target. But arguably, the most most powerful lobby in this town is the pharmaceutical industry. Really. They huh. they spent more money in 2009, 2010, 2009 in particular, uh, during the debate on what became Obamacare than any industry had ever spent in a single year in the history <laughs> of Congress, uh, over $275 million just to influence uh, that piece of legislation. And they spent almost that much last year. Uh, they spend enormous sums of money uh, on lobbying. Uh, they have an army of lobbyists. They spend money, uh, to, again, to influence campaigns. Uh, and to influence public opinion. So we want to help people understand how that happens. Part of what we want to, want to, want to do with Tarbell is to connect the dots for people. First, to show them who is behind the curtain, pull, us, pull the curtain back to expose who really has the power and the money, uh, to show how they go about doing what they do to get what they want, how they're always able to call the shots, and then make sure people understand how they are affected and how people they know are affected. We, spe- we spend more than twice as much as anybody in Europe, for, for example, for prescription drugs on a per capita basis. That's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, there's no reason for that except the power <coughs> and influence of the pharmaceutical industry. Well, didn't um, uh, I wrote a little, little bit about this in my book, uh, last, last book, Buyer's Remorse. Um, they even, Obama made a deal. He did. With pharma. Exactly. Right. It was the first deal he, he made, really, uh, as letting them off the hook, in yeah. effect. So the idea exactly. that we would not you negotiate for the price of, of prescription drugs, right. even though the U.S. government is the number one purchaser of Absolutely. prescription drugs because of Medicaid and Medicare. Right. Uh, That's been one of their biggest battles, we would, biggest yeah, fights. Yeah. And we let them off the hook in we return did. for which they agreed to back off, I guess, and not run so many ads against Obama. I forget whatever the other side of the deal was. Well, the other side of the deal was that they would, first of all, not run negative ads. They would not try to kill it, which they could because they're that powerful. They could have killed it right out of the gate, which is why the Obama administration was essentially blackmailed. It uh, had no option except to to do that. The Affordable Care Act uh, wouldn't have passed unless first it passed muster by the big and trend special interest in health care. That includes the industry I used to work for. It includes mm-hmm. the hospital industry, mm-hmm. uh, the American Medical Association, the medical device manufacturers. They all have a lot of skin in the game, and they spend a lot of money to make sure that whatever is passed is not going to do any damage to their profits. Uh, and uh, uh, and that's what happened. We, you know, the Affordable Care Act does some good. I, 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 sure. I've written a lot about that. A lot of people have been brought into coverage, but it really... Uh, was sort of a Band-Aid, on a, an ugly Band-Aid, as Uwe Reinhardt, a, a healthcare economist, has said, on an ugly system. And it is not a sustainable in the long term, uh, not a sustainable system in the long term. Is single-payer the way? 
I think one of the things we're going to do, by the way, at Tarbell is investigate solutions. We're not just going to be uncovering problems and, and, and corruption, but we're going to be pointing to potential solutions. And one of the jobs that I had in my uh, one of the responsibilities I had in my old job was to help miss uh, uh, to to scare people away from a single payer healthcare system because yeah. you know the insurance industry uh, is scared to oh, death. I'm of that. sure. Yeah. Uh, right. But it works very well in Canada. It works works very well in the UK. Socialized medicine, exactly. right? They called it's it. It's a right term now. we used all the time. Another term <laughs> is government takeover of healthcare. Sure. There are a few phrases you all are you all yeah, have heard. We've heard them. They're they're part of um, what well, I'm sure you've heard this term. Um, uh, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. FUD campaigns. Uh, the whole intent of these campaigns, and that's what I used to do for a living, yeah. is to scare people, to raise fear, uncertainty, and doubt in people's minds. And uh, uh, I think, uh, and of course, Bernie Sanders has has introduced uh, uh, last mm-hmm. month a Medicare for All bill, and it needs to have a, a serious consideration. I doubt that it will get it in this Congress. Uh, I'm, oh, no. I'm pretty sure yeah. that he's going to continue to uh, to help educate people about what it is, what it means, and how it could benefit people. But it's also, I believe, brilliant politically of Bernie uh, to Senator Sanders, I guess I should say, yeah. <laughs> uh, to use the phrase "Medicare for all" because so people too. do get Medicare. They people, may not they do. accept it as a government program because right. it's so good they can't believe that the government yeah. has anything to do with it. Yeah. Uh, but they get it, and they know they they're either on it or they know people who are or Absolutely. they're looking forward to it. They depend on and they know it works. It's cost-effective. It delivers. Yeah. Uh, and why not expand it? It's very cost-effective. The administrative costs of Medicare are so far lower than in the private health insurance industry. Uh, we waste in this country about 30 percent of what we spend of the three trillion dollars that this country spends on health care, about a third of that could said could be said to be wasted because a lot of it goes for administrative functions. It goes to pay uh, executives at uh, companies like I used to work for and their sales mm-hmm. marketing efforts. Uh, and uh, hospitals and doctors have to hire staff to do nothing more than deal with insurance companies. And there's uh, no consistency from the way one company does business uh, in terms of how it works with doctors and hospitals. So uh, it's just an incredible waste of money. Well, we know that uh, what what corporations really need in this country uh, is uh, more than anything else. And what this country needs more than anything else is a big corporate tax cut, right? I mean, that's right. Exactly. That's what the Republicans are just lining up. This yeah. is the number one problem facing right. this country, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know that the reason that is such a priority is because rich folks have such leverage, such power. They want that. Uh, and they're behind this. It's not something that, uh, 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 that is being done to help the little guy or the middle income earner. Uh, not at all. It is for the rich guy who can write the big campaign checks. That's what it's all about. And we want to help people understand how that works, why it is. Yeah. It's so important. What you're doing is so, so important. Just to bring it back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, journalism now has changed so much it that has. you've got one reporter who has to file four stories by the end of the day. And, and it's just yeah. you can't. Uh, Turn every rock over. You can't can't. find every aspect of the story. And so if there are people willing to kind of show the way and do some of the research and give this stuff to reporters, it's invaluable. It It really, really is. I appreciate that, Peter. As I said, I was a reporter here, and I know what it's like. And so much of the reporting turns out to be he said, she said kind of stuff. 
that doesn't really it's 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 in a sense very superficial. People don't understand uh, the substance of the issues that are that is being debated, and we want to help uh, help explain uh, that to people as well. And I've seen, you know, investigative journalism. I, I, I tell a story often. My very first job was at KABC TV in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. And when I went there, there was a crack investigative unit with nine reporters in it. I mean, that's yeah. all they did. They didn't just go to news conferences and then repeat the nonsense, right, that they heard from some politician or anything. Yeah. They were out digging story. They were They were really spending weeks, you know, yeah. developing stories uh, that nobody else might have been working on. And when I left... There was there were, which was eight years later. There was nobody in the investigative unit, and it, it, we've seen that yeah. happen in organization after organization with the budget cuts or whatever. Exactly. So this is so great. This is so important. It's Tarbell, Tarbell.org, correct? Tarbell.org. Yeah, correct. and you bitch about the fact that there's not enough good, solid reporting. Well, here's a chance to make it happen by uh, joining this crowdfunding campaign for uh, for the new organization, Tarbell and Wender Bottle. Wender. Wendell Potter. Tarbell.org. Uh, Thanks, Wendell. Thank you. Congratulations. Thanks Good work. Thanks Thank for you. What, you're, what you're doing. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yep, seven days in a row now, we are still fighting the battle over uh, what Donald Trump said or what he didn't say on that phone call to Maisha Johnson, the widow of slain Sergeant La David Johnson. Hello, everybody. A White House just won't let go. It is Monday, October 23rd. Great to see you today. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Bill Press Show. I hope you had a great weekend, had a good time, maybe went to a few good parties, uh, and uh, are ready to jump back into the, uh, or watch some good baseball, jump back into the news of the day. Uh, And that's our job, to tell you what's going on here in Washington, around the country, and around the globe uh, and we're doing so, of course, coast to coast on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show on Free Speech TV. Uh, also, and out on the great WCPT in Chicago. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. And don't forget, you are part of the show. So send us your comments on Twitter uh, at BP Show. Uh, and what's the latest? Uh, how is Donald Trump doing? Uh, with his base or otherwise, and what's the what's that look like uh, in uh, Virginia, and how successful will Steve Bannon be in trying to upset uh, upset every Republican senator except Ted Cruz? Well, uh, Steve Shepard from the from Politico keeps on top of all of that and joins us in the studio. Hello, Stephen. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me, Bill. Lots going on, huh? 
It is for an off year. It's I was going to say very this, busy. Yeah. This is supposed to be an off year. Yeah. Well, we do have. You mentioned Virginia. 15 days away from gubernatorial elections in Virginia and New Jersey. So it's not unusual that we start to refocus uh, around this time around. Actually, voters really for the first time in a, in a statewide way, <laughs> um, getting to, to, to cast a referendum. It is they are gubernatorial races. They're not federal right. races. But this will be a referendum in part on right. uh, Donald Trump as president and, right. and what voters are looking for now a well a yeah. little less than a year 10 months into his presidency yeah there we go so there's a good tease for what we're going to be talking about with steve shepherd and we'll get right into it with your help but first this right. is the full court press yes indeed just a couple of other stories making news just a couple of moments ago on good morning america they had a guest maisha johnson she is the widow of sergeant la david johnson the man who donald Trump called to give his condolences to uh, Maisha Johnson after Dave, David Johnson died in Niger. Well, she backed up every single claim that Frederica Wilson made. Remember, Donald Trump said that those comments were fabricated. Uh, she said that Donald, he had proof. He had proof. He says, that, yeah, he yep. says he had proof. Uh, Maisha Johnson said, quote, I was very upset and it hurt. It made me cry even worse. The president told her that her husband, quote, knew what he signed up for, but it hurts anyways. And it did make me cry. I was very angry at the tone of his voice and how he said it. So remember, again, Donald Trump said that Frederica Wilson lied about the whole thing. And now here is the widow who backs up Congresswoman Wilson's side of the story. Whatever Miss Wilson said was not fabricated. There you go. What she said was 100% correct. So let's uh, see if Donald Trump has something to say. Uh, I just no. have one word to President Trump. Don't attack this woman. Just let it go. But I'd like to think he's not that stupid, but oh boy. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I cringe to think what he might say. So when we die, this is moving on to another story. When we die, we have basically two stories, burial or cremation. Well, there is a new option that just got cleared in California and has actually started in other states. It is a has a couple of different names. Flameless cremation, green cremation. It's better for the environment. They basically turn your remains into a liquid. They use chemicals and they turn your body into a quote coffee covered coffee colored liquid, powdery bone, and any metal implants like dental fillings. It's all that's left of you. Nope. And it's better for the environment because you're not burning anything. No, still no. Do we have to do this story? I, I just did it. <laughs> Just saying, you have another option. No. Burn, baby, burn. <laughs> Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hey, here we go on a Monday, Monday, October 23rd. Yeah, Donald Trump is tweeting away, and we are broadcasting away here, trying to keep up with it all. i got to run fast to keep, to keep up with the uh, changing topics uh, from the uh, Trump Twitter dome. Uh, but uh, we do the best we can. Thank you so much for joining us all across this great land of ours. Uh, coast to coast, we're there with you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show on Free Speech TV. Good to see you, and on the great WCPT out in Chicago. 
Thanks for joining us. Uh, ready to jump into a new week with a whole new news cycle. And Stephen Shepard from Politico uh, joins us here uh, in studio to get the latest on the political news of the day. This, Stephen, it is, it is an off year, but there has not been a slow news day yet, I don't think, right? That's the one thing that Donald Trump has accomplished, right? Yeah. He, you, you he's know, quickened the pace of it's of news, political we news. We thought, if you thought that this, what, what we saw in the campaign and the craziness was going to end, it, it hasn't. I was actually just on my way in here this morning uh, listening to a discussion about uh, declining ratings for the National Football League on television. And one of the, the statistics that they mentioned was that uh, cable news ratings so far during, on Sunday afternoons, during the NFL season, so September and early October, are up over last year during the election. They're up about a hundred. Yeah, they're up over a hundred percent from 2015, and they're up between 10 and 20 percent from last year in September and October during the the heat of the campaign. So more people are watching cable news on Sunday afternoons than even during last year's presidential campaign. The news hasn't slowed down. Sunday afternoon used to be a time when when cable news networks would would re-air the the Sunday morning shows in the case of MSNBC and Fox News Channel from their networks. They would re-air, just show repeats, or MSNBC would show lockup. Lockup. Yeah. yeah. Lockup. They don't do that anymore because people are watching and people want to watch because there's so much news. Well, that's funny. I'm glad to hear you say that. I was on MSNBC yesterday at 1230 <laughs> uh, with Alex Witt. And, uh, there you it's, go. Again, it's a very, I agreed to do it, right? Yeah. But, you know, I used to do weekend mornings, and, that, and, and that's something that they've always done. Yeah. But then in the no. afternoons... Right. There would be no live programming but, unless news warranted. But now I, they just assume there's always going to be news. I, I say I agreed to do it, but I knew it's such a dead time. Nobody was watching. Everybody would be doing like <laughs> other. And, and as soon as I got off the air. It was a beautiful I had, day I for had, most of the, no, it most was, of the yeah. United States. But yeah. I had all these tweets and emails coming in from people, right? And I'm thinking, well, that's kind of weird, right? Well, <laughs> there it is. That sort, of a, that sort of explains it. Yeah, keeping up with it. So, um, gosh, where do we start? I... I, I, I is interesting. I had this conversation with um, last night. Governor Jerry Brown's in town. Good friends, still worked for him for four years. We had dinner together last night with a couple of friends, and we got talking about Donald Trump's approval ratings. And they were saying, you know, that uh, only that, that yeah, it, he, he was saying it's down, but it's not that far down. I said, no, I think it's pretty far down. So I said, I know who knows. And I went to Politico, <laughs> uh, and I saw. I mean. He's about 37, 38, but it's still lower than any president in how long? Absolutely. Right? Really, any elected president uh, after nine months in office. At that, I, right. would, At that point I would in office. draw yeah. the exception right. for, for Gerald Ford, who, yeah. of course, was not elected to either pres- neither president nor vice president. Right. Um, but, yeah, no, it's lower than, than, than we've really ever seen. Uh, that said, it is – we've seen some, some – there's been a general decline over the nine months, certainly from where he started. He did start in the worst position of any elected president, uh, and he has declined over the long term. We did see a little bit of a bump in the late summer into early September. Uh, that seems to have now receded again. He's back. He had gotten up near 40 percent. Now he's back down a couple of points into the mid to high 30s, generally speaking. Uh, some polls show him higher. Some polls like Gallup had him as low as 35 uh, percent at one point last week. Uh the the two thing the the one thing I think that you would really look at as as what kind of uh, arrested that 
little bump that he'd had and, and maybe caused him to tick back down a little bit is the response to Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. Mm. Uh, I think it's still too early to, to look at the uh, uh, the issue with the grieving widow in South yeah. Florida. Yeah. I do agree with you that uh, it's one thing to attack a congresswoman, a partisan. She wears funny hats. Um, it's another thing to attack a grieving widow. And for the grieving widow to go out and, and, and say that she was upset by the phone call, that, that should be the end of that conversation. Yeah, it won't be. I'm, I'm afraid, but <laughs> I don't uh, it, think so. and, and we'll see. And we'll see so whether this, whether whether her validating that account, because that's what really matters. Is is even it's, if it wasn't, I, I don't believe that the president intended to no, I, to cause this woman increased emotional distress. I totally agree with you. And the way out of it is to say, "Oh God, I'm sorry if my if my comments." Yes, that was the know, last it, thing that I intended. I'm very sorry. And how can I and, help you? Something yeah. like boom, end of story. But you know that would take, I believe, a man bigger than he is. Um, so I want to ask, though, so with this, if it's 37, kind of whatever it is, that's his base, right? More or less. I, More I, or less. You could really put, it depends on how you how you divide it. And, and it's interesting, there's going to be a report coming out tomorrow that I can't really talk about yet. Uh, that yes, really, yes, you can. <laughs> that really seeks to create a topology for the American electorate, um, which in, in, in doing so divides Republicans into uh, a number of different groups like the Nationalist Republicans, the Social Conservatives, uh, the Economic Conservatives. And no matter how you divide that up, you can get anywhere between, say, 20 and 35 percent of the country as the Donald Trump base. Uh, I think 37% is closer to the Republican base. Uh -huh. um, and, I, and I I do think it's notable well, that, that many of them are, are sticking with him. Uh, you know, when he tweets about the NFL, as he did about 20 minutes ago, uh, that's something that, that does appeal to them a little bit. Um, but when he maybe attacks a grieving widow or at least attacks or at least or at least perpetuates the story, that may be something they're less comfortable with. And that's why you see something tick down from, say, 40 to 35 as Gallup did uh, during the past week. Really quickly, just on, the, on that comment, I want to read his tweet because he says, two dozen, quote, two dozen NFL players continue to kneel during the national anthem, showing total disrespect to our flag and country. No leadership in the NFL. Which, Donald Trump, as Maisha Johnson is going on TV to talk about the tone and how Donald Trump personally made her cry over the death of her husband, is out here talking about people showing disrespect to the flag and the country. That's pretty rich. Tone deaf. Well, that's pretty. I, I, rich. I think it does point to the fact that he and Dan Scavino, whoever's typing the tweets, they would rather talk about the. I think it was twenty-three players that the Associated Press yeah. counted it at various NFL games out of. I don't know how many teams had bye weeks this week, but there's 53 players on a roster, approximately 30 teams playing last this past yeah. week, probably maybe 28, uh, although there's still the Monday night game to go. Um, it, it's not that large a percentage. It's a very small percentage. They'd rather talk about that than uh, have to combat and, and to distract a little bit from a grieving widow on television talking about he, the distress that a phone call from the president caused her. Yeah, it is pretty clear that he's keeping this going now for like Four weeks in a row, and in keeping as a it monumental going, distraction with the owners in the NFL uh, declining to impose any kind of regulation yeah. on their players. Yeah. The players, if they the the ones who have been kneeling, they don't want to be seen as backing down to right. President Trump. So by him keeping the story in the news, they're going to keep responding to that. And this, it's difficult to see how this kind of unwinds until one side disengages, and if neither side wants to give in, 
then neither side disengages. All right. So now back to this base. The reason I asked that question is because so let let's say with a couple of exceptions you pointed out, Morris, but if if that's roughly his base, what does that what does that give him? Is that enough, right, for a president of the United States to to have to sustain his agenda, his political future, or that of the party? Uh, I look. Generally, no. The answer would be no. I do think, though, that voters to some degree, and, and this is why I'm really interested in, in what happens in Virginia and New Jersey this week, uh, this week, uh, in the next yeah. two weeks. Um, voters have thus far, the polling suggests some of them separate the president from his party in large part because he has separated himself from his party in on numerous occasions yeah. and his party has separated itself from him on numerous occasions. Uh, so I'm interested to see. You know, it's one thing to see where they are after one year. It's another thing to see where they are after two years in next year's midterms. And that may be a different story. The dynamic that we see in Virginia, which is also a gubernatorial race and not, a say, a Senate race or a congressional race, uh, that we see in, in two weeks in Virginia may not be the one that you see in uh, the Ohio Senate race, for example, next year with Sherrod Brown. Mm -hmm. the voters there, because it's a federal race instead of a state, uh, statewide office, because it's two years into the Trump presidency instead of one, they may make a different judgment about how, the, how uh, their feelings about the president and his job performance relate to uh, whom they want to send uh, to this other office. But I'm really interested to see, especially, you know, we live near uh, northern Virginia. How do voters there, even those who have been traditional Republicans uh, out in, say, Fairfax County and Loudoun County, who were uncomfortable with Donald Trump during the presidential campaign, voted for Hillary Clinton, but may have voted for Barbara Comstock for Congress. How do they react when it when given the choice between Ralph Northam and Ed Gillespie for their next governor. Right. And New Jersey is a different story. Right. I mean, I don't want to spend too much time in New Jersey because it looks like that's pretty one sided for a lot of reasons. Right. Yes. One of what? which is is New Jersey's uh, political environment. The other one is the fact that Chris Christie's approval rating is under 20 percent. Yeah. Uh, and she's the she's the lieutenant governor. And yeah. So it, it would be uh, right. It would be a very, very, very uphill. Climb. And Trump doesn't play there as much as he does play and has been made an issue in the Virginia governor's race, right? With Ralph Northam running all kinds of ads saying Ed Gillespie's buddy-buddy with Donald Trump and Ed Gillespie doing everything he can to distance himself from Trump. In fact, Trump has not been in the state yet. I know they were talking about it, but is he going to go in and, and stump for Ed Gillespie? Well, that that's a question that Ed Gillespie's campaign gets on a daily basis uh, and thus far <laughs> has not given a definitive answer one way or another. Right. Look, I'd be surprised. Right. Yeah. I'd be surprised. I would, I would, too. So what does it look like now? The polls have been, that I've seen, have been very close and, you know, seesaw back and forth. What, what What's the latest? Generally speaking, Ralph Northam, the, the Democratic lieutenant governor, has a lead roughly around five or six points on average. That doesn't mean there was one poll yeah. last week from Monmouth University that had Ed Gillespie up by one point. Yes. There was another poll from Quinnipiac University that had, and they're conducted a little bit differently, but that had Ralph Northam up by 14 points. That seems like a really wide range, but when you're dealing with, like, the Monmouth poll was only 400 voters, margin of error of plus or minus 5%, that's not that abnormal a distribution. And on balance, the data suggests a close race with Northam having the advantage. That said, we've been here before. 
yes. in 2013, Terry McAuliffe had a pretty comfortable lead in the polls against Ken Cuccinelli uh, in, the, in the previous gubernatorial race, uh, and only won by a couple of points. Ended up being much closer on Election Day. In 2014, there wasn't even much public polling uh, in the Senate race between Gillespie and Mark Warner. Uh, it was thought that Mark Warner had put it away. The polls that we had seen had him up double digits. Uh, and he only won by a couple of points. And it was a race, I think, that wasn't called until the following day or maybe two days later. Yeah, that's right. R- right. Yeah. Um, so this is, you know, now the political environment is very different now than it was in. And what's happening on the ground in terms of you know, that old magic get out the vote uh, ground, you know, ground ground game? Yeah. Democrats are spending a uh, story by my colleague Kevin Robillard on Politico.com uh, this morning. Democrats are spending a million dollars, a Democratic group to try to turn out voters, their their core voters uh, in this race. Uh, one of the things that you hear anecdotally is that because, in part, we're following the news from Washington yeah, so yep. closely, is that voters aren't tuned in on this gubernatorial race. Yeah, It's sort of a leftover from the Obama years, right, where, like, the Obama, the White House, the Obama White House was such a sort of draw and something that everybody paid attention to that nobody really paid enough attention to the down-ballot races. And, like, it's sort of a... A difference here this year, this year, uh, in this cycle, because like Democrats are so outraged by what Donald Trump is doing, that's all they can focus on, and they can't focus on what's happening down ballot. They can't focus on the fact that like having a governor who opposes what Donald Trump does is very, very powerful, and so they just yeah. they're they're just missing it. No, I mean it's, it's, it's Virginia governor's race is the big political story of the year. Yeah, and I actually, I yes. want... Yeah, it really is. Yeah. I, I want to turn the tables on you a little bit here. Okay. Okay, there's a story in the Washington Post today about how Democrats at the uh, DNC meetings in Las Vegas That's are, right. I was just looking for it on the New York Times, but it was I saw are, it this morning in are, the Post, right? Yeah, it yeah. was Dave Weigel and Ed O'Keefe. Yeah. They're... Panicking's the, uh, not the word they use, but they're, they're nervous. And in a previous life, you would have been in that DNC meeting from the other side of the country, uh watching what's going on all the way out east. Um, you know, Democrats, after 2016, lost a presidential race they expected to win. Uh, I mentioned those closer races in 2013 and 2014. I, t- I did, uh, wrote a story a few months ago talking to the Democratic Governors Association who actually conducted this really expensive, rigorous study into why late deciding voters have been breaking against them in previous elections. Uh, you know, you recall in Kentucky in 2015, they thought they were going to win. And uh, Matt Bevan, the Republican, defeated mm-hmm. Jack Conway by fi- by 10 points. These races seem to be getting away from them at the end. And a lot of Democrats are nervous. As someone who watches politics very closely, who sees all the television advertising here in Washington, how nervous are you? Very. No, very. <laughs> and let me tell you, the um, right, right, rightly or wrongly, a loss in Virginia would be a body blow to the Democratic Party. Nationally, yeah. not just not just in Virginia, uh, you know. So Democrats have picked up some key legislative seats, five or six, I think. You know, our revolution right. and indivisible and other groups that have been. Working and they're trying on to those. make big inroads in Virginia. Yes, in, in two weeks as well. Yeah, right. But you know, in Oklahoma, places where you wouldn't expect to win, Oklahoma, Washington right. State, maybe what might expect Oklahoma and some others. Iowa, um, but none of them compared to the importance. Even right. even Georgia three, you know, was kind of a body blow. But people were able to 
explain. I mean, John Ossoff wasn't that great a candidate. He he didn't live in the and, district. And you know, and, boom, and boom, in boom. all of those and congressional very races, red. Yeah. St- uh, they've fallen district. just short in Montana, in Kansas, yeah. in yeah. South Carolina, right, in Georgia. I mean, these are these were Republican, traditionally Republican districts. Yeah, this is but, a state where Republicans haven't won a statewide election exactly since Bob McDonnell and and others down ballot. And Virginia, in where you've got two Democratic senators, a Democratic governor. Hillary carried the state. Obama now, won it it's, twice. It's not Obama won it twice, right? It's not a blue state, but it certainly can go blue, right? Know? And McAuliffe won in thirteen, even you know right. when things yeah. were starting to to turn against Democrats after the government shutdown, and then uh, obviously the the healthcare.gov debacle. Yeah. No, I don't know what more Democrats can do there, but um, but it's um, but I'm but I'm nervous. <laughs> no, because it's just the idea that it's. I, how much do you think Not of that is, is psychological, though? And this is one thing that I've been talking to people well, about. No. After 2016, just just folks are rattled their confidence, their what they thought their political instincts were uh, on the Democratic side, uh, and and you know, quite frankly, some of us in in the nonpartisan news media too, just you know, it upended kind of what we thought we knew about politics, and so. Now there's there's an additional suspense and and stakes as you mentioned are really high. Uh, a lot of the psychological yeah. and the impact of it would be psychological. I mean, you, you you could make the argument that okay, it's just one state that that not necessarily a given. It's not like New York or California, but it would have an impact beyond yeah. maybe its importance if, to lose. In Sounds Virginia. like Democrats are more afraid to lose than they are excited to win. Uh, I think that may be. <laughs> I think that may be true. Um, now. In terms of losing and winning, Mitch McConnell said uh, something yesterday on um, Meet or State of the Union, wherever he was, one of the Sunday shows, about Steve Bannon's efforts. Steve Bannon, who is now on the crusade uh, to uh, target and take on every Republican senator (laughs) up for re-election, except Ted Cruz. Uh, Here's what Mitch McConnell says about that. Well, you know, this element has been out there for a while. They cost us five uh, Senate seats in 2010 and 2012 uh, by nominating people who couldn't win in November. In order for the president's agenda to advance, we have to be able to elect people who support the agenda. And so these inter-party skirmishes are all about whether or not we can nominate candidates who can win in November. All right. So Mitch is saying he's just putting up losers, right? So is this for real? Does Bannon have any real juice? And is he, is he a th- real threat? I think for now it's more bluster than, than, than actual... Uh, uh, legitimacy you know he still has to get the money one of the reasons why he's not taking on ted cruz is because of the mercer family who he's hoping will underwrite a lot of these candidates or, or an outside group that that collects them and they're close to cruz yes uh-huh uh that being said there are dynamics in some of the states uh that are interesting story in the new york times yesterday about mississippi mm, yeah um where chris mcdaniel is on his revenge tour after he feels like uh, in 2014, the estab- re- establishment Republicans seeking to prop up Thad Cochran uh, kind of, of cheated. They let people who voted in the Democratic primary then came out, he alleges, in the Republican r- primary runoff to vote for Thad Cochran, which they're not. you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to vote in mm-hmm. the Republican runoff if you vote in the Democratic primary. You can only vote if you vote in the Republican primary or didn't vote at all. Um he alleges it was stolen from him, and he wants to beat Roger Wicker. And there are there is a lot of anger among conservative Republicans in Mississippi about that. Uh, so th- there is an opportunity there. Jeff Flake in Arizona, there's an opportunity there because 
uh, conservative Republicans are upset with the way in which he's taken on President Trump. Um, Dean Heller in, in Nevada has moved a lot closer to the president over the past few months as he's faced a primary challenge from Danny Tarkanian. I think there are individual state dynamics at play here, but it, yeah. it's harder to see um, him being able to organize an effort, say, uh, to back someone like Eric Prince, uh, the the Blackwater, Blackwater founder yeah. in Wyoming against John Barrasso. You know, we saw Liz Cheney try to do this in yeah. Wyoming yeah. against Mike Enzi, and when she couldn't get the support and couldn't get the money to do it, she dropped out uh, with like eight months before the primary uh, and ended up running for a House seat uh, that was vacated two years later. Um, you know, it's difficult to see how one organized national effort can really help some of these folks. But I do think more so, really, for the uh, more so than 2014 and 2016, there is some anger in these specific states uh, that makes some of these Republican Senate incumbents uh, uniquely vulnerable. And one thing we saw from Steve Bannon in Alabama with Roy Moore, who's been on statewide ballots in Alabama for a couple of decades, is a perhaps the most famous politician in Alabama, not named Robert Bentley. Huh. Um he was able to swoop in at the end and take all the credit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's something he's going to, even though he didn't deserve the credit, uh, that's something I think you're going to see him try to do in, in starting this effort. Really talk himself up as, as the person driving it when I think it's really, uh, to the extent people like Cochran and Flake and Heller are vulnerable in primaries, it's really in-state dynamics that and are it, causing it, that. It puts Trump in an uncomfortable spot, doesn't it? Because I think his gut would be to support all the Bannon guys, right? <laughs> you know. He's still friendly with Bannon. And, like, you look yeah. at everybody who yeah. the true Trump has kicked out. He said at some point fairly nasty things about. But you but know in Alabama, he was he he had more he would have more fun hanging out with Roy Moore than Luther Strange. Right, and he's calling Deb Fisher on the phone uh, to assure her that, don't worry, yeah. I, I've got your back. Um, but he's still talking to Steve Bannon multiple times a week, as, yeah. the, as the Washington Post reported yesterday. Um, I, look, I, I, I agree with you. I think that, you know, he wants his army of people in there. But for now, he has to work with Mitch McConnell and Senate Republicans. And, you know, I think <laughs> for now he needs to he needs them to, to feel like uh, he has their back. What did you make of the uh, love fest in the Rose Garden last week between uh, Donald Trump and, <laughs> and Mitch McConnell? <laughs> it was it was certainly the bromance. <laughs> it's certainly an interesting moment. Look, I, I think if there's any kind of holdup in the Senate over uh, this tax overhaul that the love between them will will dissipate very quickly. Um, you know, there's look at the anger and the way that the president lashed out at McConnell on uh, health both times. Right. healthcare failed to even they, they failed. Well, one time they put it up for a vote. The second time they didn't even put it up for a vote. Uh, I, I do think that the, the he'll lash out if we see similar problems with trying to advance a tax overhaul. But this man is going to get it done. Okay. And I think get it done long before anybody else. And I think it's going to be a great health care. <laughs> a great health care. <laughs> um, so I, I think you'll see that again if, if the tax bill uh, gets bottled up in the Senate. Yeah. Um, I, I, so for now, basically, so we're going to work together with Mitch because this tax reform is very important. And it's certainly something that McConnell wants to deliver, too. Right. Yes. No. And, and Republicans know that they look at their fundraising numbers after the health care failure. A lot of their dollars, especially from big donors, have dried up. People 
are, are thinking, why should we give you money when you haven't delivered on the on the uh, policies that we want implemented? Um, now, you can argue whether or not in, in a normative way, whether or not government and mm. politics should work that way. Is, but in our current campaign finance system, uh, both parties are relying on people who want certain policies implemented uh, to, to sustain their campaigns. And Republican donors right now, they have stopped opening up their wallets until they see some kind of progress. Right. The, the progress that they want, at least. Right. Uh, looking at 2018, who are the most vulnerable Republicans? You, the ones that you mentioned? I think Flake yeah. and Heller, uh, Flake. certainly, in, in, in even if they were to win their primaries and win nom- uh, renomination, are the most uh, vulnerable Republicans in the general election. Uh, Jeff Flake's numbers in Arizona, he's managed to make few friends <laughs> among both Republicans and Democrats. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dean Heller, you see, sort of doing the opposite. He's trying to move closer to winning renomination by moving closer to Trump, voting for these various health care proposals, even though he's running in a state that Barack Obama won twice and Hillary Clinton won. Uh, last fall. Um, those are the two that I would look at if Democrats have pickup opportunities and there there aren't many. Uh, those are the ones that, that they would certainly be the most interested and in. And are you looking for a big upset in Alabama? <laughs> uh, no, but the one thing I will say is that I think Democrats are going to force Republicans to play defense there. Yeah. Uh, Doug Jones has been up on the air running television ads and Roy Moore hasn't. He's going to put up a fight. Roy Moore is not a fundraiser. He doesn't have hmm. even he is you know Jones is is raising uh, a decent amount of money. I think it, it serves Jones well to fly under the radar a little bit here. Um, if he mm-hmm. starts getting support from national Democrats, yeah. that's going to turn off some of those uh, maybe voters in the middle in Alabama who might be uncomfortable with Roy Moore, uh, who is a polarizing figure in Alabama, uh, though though reasonably popular. He's also there are a lot of people who don't like him. Mm-hmm. Um. And now Republicans, probably at the national level, are going to have to swoop in. Uh, you're seeing it from a, a group close to Trump. But you, the the thing I'm watching is Senate Leadership Fund. This is the Stephen Law Group. This is the group linked to, to Mitch McConnell. Uh, they backed, obviously, Luther Strange millions and millions of dollars in that primary and in the in the subsequent runoff yeah, to, get, right. to get him into the runoff and then to try to get him through the runoff. Uh, they Roy Moore is not their kind of senator, but... If the seat is really vulnerable uh, and they start spending money, Mitch McConnell's group spending money to elect oh, Roy God. Moore, yeah, what a world. Yeah. Hard to imagine. Yeah. But, you know, Roy Moore is crazy but as I he think is. That would be a, a tell how vulnerable they think the, yeah. the seat is. He does have an R after his name. And in the end, if he's voting be, for Mitch McConnell for majority leader, that might be enough. That might be enough. Yeah. Wow. Right. See, it never slows down. Uh, <laughs> Steve Shepard. Thanks so much, Steve. Nice to see you. Thank, and you can follow Stephen. Uh, on all the daily on a daily basis at Politico, Politico.com. See you again Bill. soon. Yeah. And when we come back, yes, indeed, uh, we'll be talking more about Donald Trump and the Gold Star families with John Donnelly from uh, Roll Call. Well, you know, this element has been out there for a while. They cost us five uh, Senate seats in 2010 and 2012 by nominating people who couldn't win in November. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show.
Hey, you bet it is a busy day here already on a Monday, October 23rd. Uh, tweets flying out of the White House as fast as bats out of a chimney on a nice October evening. Um, wow. <laughs> can't that stop, was awfully folksy for you. I, I can't stop this president, it seems, on any topic. This is the Bill Press Show. Good to have you with us, folks. As we come to you live from Washington, D.C., uh, our nation's capital and our studio right here on Capitol Hill, brought to you today in part by the International Association of Iron Workers. Yes, uh, under President Eric Dean, the good men and women of the Iron Workers, they are uh, rebuilding America's communities today and uh, ready to re- They're building America's communities today, I should say, ready to rebuild America's infrastructure tomorrow. If the Congress ever gets around to doing around to doing something about uh, funding infrastructure projects, um, and you can find out more about their good work at ironworkers.com. The president, yes, is out uh, already tweeting in response to uh, an appearance earlier today on Good Morning America by Maisha Johnson, the widow of slain uh, Sergeant uh, La David Johnson, who was killed in Niger on October five. Uh, reporting on this and other defense-related issues for Roll Call at rollcall.com, a reporter, senior defense writer, John Donnelly, joins us in studio. Hey, John, it's good to see you. Good morning. Thanks for coming in. My pleasure. Uh, this is day number seven that the battle between the Trump White House uh, and the family of La David Johnson uh, has gone on, mm-hmm. uh, some of it in Twitter form, some of it as you know, with the president's comments and some of it with his chief of staff and his press secretary in the briefing room. To what end? To what end uh, the White House's uh, approach? Um, well, obviously, he's uh, he's been uh, criticized here, and his, his standard response is to, is to swing wildly back. Um, and, uh, you know, it's interesting. He even had a tweet in the last few days where he talked about the political benefit of doing so. He's apparently under the impression that this is a political winner for him, at least among his base. He said, you know, I'm particularly referring to the, the congresswoman. Congresswoman, right. Um, criticizing her, he seems to believe, will redound to his benefit. Um, he may be right within a certain sector of, of the population. Uh, but I have a feeling that um, uh, going... Uh, uh, head-to-head with a a widow of a slain U.S. soldier may be a little bit trickier uh, proposition. Yeah, I mean, um, right, attacking Congresswoman Federica Wilson. She's a member of Congress. She's a politician. She's a Democrat. Maybe you could get away with that, right, Mm -hmm. even though that, that, as others have pointed out, she's just the latest of a series of women that he's said nasty things about or called nasty uh, but this morning, it shifts to the widow herself, who appeared for the first time uh, on Good Morning America. Um, and, and the first thing she said this morning was that Congresswoman Federica Wilson's account of that telephone call, which we have to say, she's been criticized by John Kelly for eavesdropping. But it was on a speakerphone in a limousine where the family was all gathered and a military officer was holding the phone. So first of all, um, Mrs. Johnson says that uh, what Frederica Wilson said about the call was correct. Whatever Miss Wilson said was not fabricated. What she said was a hundred percent correct. 
And she said uh, the president did make her angry when with his comment about uh, he knew what he was signing up for. What he said was... The president. Yes, the president said that he knew what he signed up for, but it hurts anyways. And I was... It made me cry because I was very angry at the, the tone of his voice and how he said it. And uh, she also... Congresswoman Wilson said she didn't actually hear this part, but when the widow finished the call, she turned to her and said he couldn't even remember or didn't even know his name and that she broke down in tears over that. Uh, again, um, Aisha Wilson or Johnson explaining this morning uh, how that how that part of the call went. He couldn't remember my husband's name. The only way he remembered my husband's name because he told me he had my husband report in front of him. And that's when he actually said, La David. I heard him stumbling on trying to remember my husband's name. Uh, and the president's already responded on Twitter. 11 minutes ago, Donald Trump tweeted, quote, I had a very respectful conversation with the widow of Sergeant La David Johnson and spoke his name from the beginning without hesitation. That is the tweet. From President Donald Trump. So now he's saying... She's a liar. She's, she's yeah, at least she's wrong, right? Mm. She fabricated it. There we go, John. Yeah, well, don't, don't, don't expect me to sort this one out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying, I mean, pr- pretty clearly, uh, what, what, uh, let me just back up. When I heard her comments this morning the first time, you know, my response was, Mr. President, if you're watching, if you're listening, please just... Don't say anything. Just let it rest. Mm. You can't win this, right? But of course. But you know what, though? We saw what he did with Kazir Khan and the Khan family, the parents of a United States soldier uh, who lost his life. And he still got elected president. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that it's right, but I mean, it. he knows what he can get away with. I'm not sure if he can get away with this one now that he is actually president. I think it's a little bit of a different job description than what he was doing before. You know, you know, this is this is well, he's got he's gotten away with a lot of things. I mean, this is just one of a zillion things that he's that sure. he that he did during the course of the campaign and since. Where ordinarily you would think it would be the death knell for yeah. a politician, sure. And and it also uh, epitomizes how he plays by a totally different uh, rule book because you know pretty much any other president that I've that I've seen. Would have known to to, to be quiet um, uh, at this stage, but he he doubles down. Um, he is n- uh, nothing if not stubborn, um, and we'll see. You know, I mean, it's it's a classic it's a classic thing where it, it, it's gonna it's gonna it may help him in some sectors of the electorate, but it's it's certainly gonna hurt him. You know, this you pointed right. out that this, these are women involved. They're also African uh, Americans, and uh, you know that uh, that. Is is a part of this whole dynamic, no doubt about it. Uh, and I think, I, I you, you said it earlier too. I think you know he has gotten away with a lot. I mean, Mika, after Mika Brzezinski, after Hillary, after you know you name all the all the women particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, but a, a woman whose husband was just killed in a, by the way, a very questionable uh, incident in Niger. Uh, taking her, if he if he continues this and takes her on, I think that he may have crossed a Rubicon in that one. Uh, we'll find out. Uh, I want to ask you about this. Um, um, 
two things about Niger, but before we get to it, because you, he at one time said, I think he told Brian Kilmeade, and you've reported on this, uh, when uh, they had Radio Row at the White House last week. So Brian Kilmeade from Fox and Friends, who also has his own radio show, uh, he told them that he had called every Gold Star family. Yeah, he said. Well, he said everyone, everyone, and then he and then he said, well, at least I can say virtually everybody I've called. That was on Tuesday morning, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then later that same day, uh, there were there was an email exchange or exchanges between the White House and the Pentagon, and which I was able to view. And uh, in those exchanges, the White House aides uh, made clear that they knew that what the president said was not entirely uh, accurate, let's say, or at least an overstatement. They knew he had not contacted all of them. In fact, they didn't have the contact information for all of the deceased American military personnel. The email was requesting the, the names and the, the notices of death, which is the names of, of who, who died, how, where, and the contact information, the next of kin, including telephone numbers. <sighs> And it was clear from the exchanges that the reason they were asking for this was so that the president could, quote, ASAP. Uh, they wanted the information, quote, ASAP, but it was clear that they that the reason that they wanted it was so that the president could make sure that, in in essence, the thing to, to turn the untrue statement he made on Tuesday into a true statement as soon as possible. So he was going to go back and call all the ones that he had not yet called? That's what that's what it, it appeared was was the idea here, and um, and there has been other news organizations have done some reporting that sort of buttresses this. Um, uh, in particular, I, I'll tip my hat to the Atlantic that's done some good reporting, uh, showing that uh, uh, the you recall uh, of course two months ago I think it was uh, August twenty first it was late August. Um, the uh, uh, the Navy destroyer in the Pacific collided with another ship. Mm-hmm. Um, that again, two months ago, just this week, the president sent a letter to two of those families, maybe more, but at least two were contacted by the Atlantic, and it was FedEx overnight. When it absolutely, positively has to be there overnight. Uh, those th- that's how the letters were sent this week. This week, so uh, you know. And also reporting of other other news organizations, letters, not phone calls, of course. Right, right. The reporting of other news organizations, the combined reporting of several news organizations, appears to show the following: Uh, they have reached twenty-five families of of military personnel uh, killed this year, and nearly half of those said they had not been contacted in any way. By mm-hmm. the president. Wow. Okay. So when he says virtually every, I call virtually everybody. We have to have a pretty expansive definition of the word virtually to think that <laughs> that you know that it was accurate. Yeah. Um, the number that I saw were like thirteen out of twenty-five had not been contacted. Right? That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was right. just short of, so of half had not. Now, been when contacted. you say virtually, you think. 23, 24, <laughs> don't you? Right? Pretty yeah. close. That's to the my number. definition yeah. of virtually. Yeah. 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 So, um, <laughs> so yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't quite right. But I mean, the significance of what I was able to disclose is that it well, shows that the White House knew it wasn't right, and that they were intent on fixing it ASAP. Well, let me hear what it, it, it what strikes me is. Uh, so I was at um, the briefing. I forget which day it was now this week when. Last week, when Sarah Sa- Huckabee Sanders, this was, I think maybe Monday. It was the first day after 
Congresswoman Wilson had made her comments. That it was that day, and I wanted okay. to. It was the day that that morning. Donald Trump said, "I have proof that what she said was not true." Mm-hmm. So I specifically made sure that I got to that briefing because I wanted to see the proof and hear the proof. Mm-hmm. She didn't have any. That's when she all she said was, "Well, somebody, other people were in the room when he made the call." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was the day before General Kelly himself came out. Yeah, She spent a lot of time at that news conference saying, here's why it took so long, because there's a process. Yeah. And she detailed this process, yeah. that the Pentagon does all the research and what happened, and they put a report together. Every time she said someone is killed or not, they put this report together. Right. And once that's done, then it comes to the White House. Mm-hmm. And then the White House does its double check of each one, mm-hmm. and then that goes to the president for mm-hmm. him to respond. Mm-hmm. So if what you say is true, that they didn't know at the White House, that well, contradicts what she said, that they have a report on everybody who was killed. Well, that's a good good point. Um, I, I guess I would say it's possible that they had all the information in the White House military office, but not in the Oval Somewhere, Office or something. But, yeah. And but for for whatever reason, the people, the top people in the in the Oval Office and the National Security Council, had to contact the Defense Secretary's office, and that's who the email went to was the was the the top executive secretary for James Mattis. Um, so for whatever reason, you know, maybe it was because they didn't have it, maybe because they didn't know they had it, but. That's why they had to do it. Um, but yeah, that's a good uh, that's a good observation. I, I just wh- while you were thinking, it just reminded me of that whole mm-hmm. conversation. I mean, I heard her explain all the, and and justifying their. Uh, she explained that justifying why it was twelve days before Donald Trump said anything because she said it takes that long for that process to work. Yeah. So therefore, she said they had just gotten the papers the day before, so that's why he didn't say anything for twelve days. Well. With the news reports today, we knew right away there exactly. were four exactly. soldiers yeah, killed yeah. in this year. And to so, me, you know, uh, we need to back up and say, how did this all start? And it all started because the president had not, after 12 days, said a word about the deaths of these four Americans. And and, and that's why people started asking, you know, yeah, why right. haven't you said anything and have you contacted the families which led to everything else we've been talking about. But the genesis of it was the president's failure to talk about it publicly. Just um, to say something even, about Even briefly. Yeah. Or not even say anything, you know, issue a statement, say, you know, uh, yeah. acknowledging the, their, their sacrifice. Right. None. Nothing. So that's, that's how it all started. All right. Now, there are lots of questions that, have, uh, uh, that are being raised about this operation to begin with. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many Americans knew we were in Niger um, <laughs> or how many people are there or what they're doing? Uh, and then is this a mission that was, you know, maybe carelessly put together? So, I mean, what are you finding out? Okay, well, I have not been, you know, I have not been able to, you know, do any original reporting to answer that question and the investigations are still going on, uh, you know, People say, wonder, was this an intelligence failure or not? Almost any time people die, there was an intelligence failure to some degree or another. So, um, you know, not just intelligence, but also um, making sure you have backup for these people. Um, Which they obviously didn't have. I yeah. Um, although, you know, there are times when special forces and special operations troops have to, you know, stick their necks out and go out 
in places where they wouldn't necessarily have the kind of full cover that you would you, that you would otherwise want. But as to why it happened and whether it was a you know to what extent, let's say it was a botched operation, I think we have to wait and see. And I don't have any uh, you know um, personal information on that, but. You pointed out how few people know about this. Just over the week, knew about this. Just over the weekend, Senator Lindsey Graham, uh, a senior member of uh, the Armed Services Committee, said on Meet the Press he didn't know we had a thousand troops in Niger. And Chuck Schumer, the top Democrat in the Senate, who by the way is one of the uh, handful of lawmakers who are read in on even the most super secret operations, said he had no idea. The press hadn't reported on it. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, you know, we don't have to know everything, okay? There are certain things that operational security dictates have to, should remain secret. But when you have a thousand troops in a in a country, you know, that's the kind of thing that in a democracy, arguably, the American people have a right to know about and right. talk about. And we now know that um, uh, it was they depended on military contractors to come in and retrieve the bodies mm -hmm. of of two of the or two or three, whatever. But Sergeant LeDavid uh, Johnson uh, actually, his body was found couple of days later, a mile away. Mm -hmm. So I would, one would think that he must have survived the original ambush and fled mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. was taken, whatever there, and dumped there. Who knows? His yeah, wife right? brought that up this morning on Good Morning America. Yeah. She yeah. wants answers and as his to why trans, that And his transmitter yeah. was going off, and, you know, this, yeah. so was he alive at that time, and we could have saved him? I mean, a lot of questions. These are all excellent questions. Um, unfortunately, we don't know the answers uh, today. I, no I noticed she also questioned whether or not uh, she questioned what was in the uh, casket, you know, um, whether how how much of his remains uh, were there. And it's gruesome, but oftentimes, you know, there isn't much left to bring back home. Mm. And uh, unfortunately, that might have been the case here. It's, uh, you know, uh, this whole uh, political brouhaha over over uh, the widow and the congresswoman, you know, that's distracted attention from from the number one, the sacrifice of these of these soldiers, but also the the questions that we are touching on here of what are we doing in what countries and why you know obviously we were fighting you know terrorists um but you know how many countries are terrorists in do we have to be in all those countries you know we have a readiness issue in the military today because we are so deployed so far and wide and the you know we don't say say no to many missions and so that's another reason why this kind of thing needs to be talked about. No, I mean, we have collectively thousands uh, in northern, northern, eastern, whatever, uh, Africa, right? Mm -hmm. Cameroon, mm -hmm. Central African Republic, and Republic, Yemen, Mali, Djibouti, Niger, right. Somalia. Mm -hmm. And um, all under the rubric of the authorization for the use of military force, mm -hmm. correct? I mean, this is not something that Congress has said, okay, here's a new war front. We're going in. Yeah. Uh, well, clearly, since they didn't even know about it, <laughs> none right. of them. You know, right. John McCain, the chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee, is angry about the failure to receive the administration's failure to disclose fully and forthrightly what's going on. Uh, John McCain said something else uh, interesting uh, over the weekend um, about uh, the makeup of the military, those who serve and those who uh, don't serve. We drafted the lowest income level of America and the highest income level found a doctor that would say that they had a bone spur. That is wrong. That is wrong. If we're going to ask every American to serve, every American should serve. 
a rich man who would find a doctor who said he had a bone spur and hmm. therefore couldn't serve. Hmm. Who could that be? Who could that? Yeah. Oh, who could he on. be there, talking there about? There had to have been millions of those such cases. <laughs> 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 the fact that McCain would say that says a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, it's Speak interesting. Volumes. It's interesting how much uh, criticism the president has received in the last week without his name even being mentioned. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, it's it, it, it's almost uh, silly the way. Uh, I guess I kind of get it. You know, they're trying to be. I'm talking about, of course, the former presidents, former, uh, former right, President right. George W. Bush, right, and 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 others, uh, and McCain, President Obama, and President Obama, sure. Um, and then McCain's speech at McCain, the Constitution right, Center, right, yeah. right. And and you, what you quoted from was uh, uh, an, an interview, I think, with C-SPAN. But yeah, yeah he C-SPAN. had he had a speech where he where he excoriated the president, but again, not by name. Uh, I don't know. It's a small point, but it seems to me, you know. Well, it, but it's yeah, clear they were. It's clear who they were talking about in any event. No, exactly. And in this case, where after the speech in Philadelphia um, and McCain's criticism, which clearly, again, he was referring to uh, the foreign policy, the reckless foreign policy of of, uh, of Donald Trump. What he, as as he sees it, uh, that Donald Trump said, McCain had better be careful because. I'll strike back, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Well, that's that's the we know he will. Yeah, that's the playbook, right? I mean, strike back, attack your attack your uh, critics personally, um, um, and say whatever comes to mind as long as it serves you politically. And uh, if it's not true at that moment, well, move as quickly as you can to make it true. Uh, we're just out of time, <laughs> but I'll just ask you a quick question, though. Is it, uh, is it fair to uh, criticize a four-star Marine general when he's chief of staff of the president of the United States? I thought Jake Tapper had said it best in a tweet when he quoted the, the Sarah Huckabee Sanders saying it was highly inappropriate to criticize yeah. a four-star general, and he said, in what country? <laughs> <laughs> well said. That hey, summed John. it up. Great to meet you. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for your good work. Likewise. At Roll Call, rollcall.com. Have a great Monday, folks. We'll be here tomorrow, this and we'll be looking for you. This is the Bill Press Show.